Are you ready to live your best life, be stronger, and fall in love with yourself? It's possible, and it's inside you, but you need to unlock the power within. Welcome to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. Jody used to be afraid to take risks. It took some stepping out of her comfort zone to get her there. Along with her guests and their stories, Jody will help you to live your best life ever. Now, here's your host, Jody Harrison Bauer. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Fearlessly Authentic. I'm your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, and I am so happy to be here today. It's been a while since I've recorded a live show, and I love, love, love doing the live shows because it's just, I guess I like, I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie, although I'm the biggest scaredy cat, so... I don't, I don't know how those two things work, but welcome to the show. And if you are a first time listener, this show is about educating you, entertaining you, empowering you and inspiring you to take that knowledge and share it with other people so you can live your most fearlessly authentic life. So thank you again for being here. There are over, I think, 100 countries that listen to this show. So it's really incredible. And I'm thrilled to have you all here. Um, I'm so excited to share today's guest. But before I do, I just wanted to remind you about um, subscribing and giving us a review, rate and review. We have a five-star rating. And I'm also on YouTube at Jody Harrison Bauer, where you can go and subscribe and you can see me and my guests doing the interview. I also have some other videos up there, but it's mostly the show um, where you can see my guests and I interacting with one another rather than just listening to us. So whatever, but just don't watch us while you're driving the car. That's all. And I also wanted to remind you about Sakara. This is something that I've been talking about for a long time. It is a plant-based company that has amazing food um, that they deliver to your home. And so I started doing that about a year and a half ago. I love the food. It's delicious and nutritious. They also have a metabolism powder, a beauty, a beauty drink drops and detox drops, which I absolutely love. The detox drops are like chlorophyll drops. And so if you are interested in trying this product, you can use my code XOJODI, that's J-O-D-I, and save 20% on your first purchase. So go to Sakara, that's S-A-K-A-R-A.com and use my code XOJODI. And that is everything that I have to say today. And, and right now, I wanted to welcome Sarah Reardon to the show. Thank you so much for coming today. Thanks, Jody. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I have been trying to get you on the show for so long because you're talking about things that a lot of people don't know where to ask or talk about. Or I mean, because it's it's like a subject people feel uncomfortable discussing. And then once you educate them and empower them with that knowledge, then they can get better. Um, so I want to tell everybody a little bit about you so they know who you are and what you do. So Sarah Reardon, PT, DPT, WCS, is a doctor of physical therapy and board-certified pelvic floor specialty specialist. Sarah specializes in the treatment of pelvic floor health, pregnancy, and postpartum recovery. She is the founder of the Vagina Whisperer, an online platform for pelvic floor education and exercise, and owns a private practice in her hometown of New Orleans, NOLA Pelvic Health. You can find her on Instagram at the Vagina Whisperer. That's, we'll leave it in here, but it's T H E period vagina period whisperer and TikTok at the, I love this one, the Vag Whisperer. So welcome again, Sarah. I just love, love, love the name and everything else. So to start off, tell me a little bit about how you got into becoming the Vagina Whisperer and what exactly that involves. So I am a physical therapist by degree. So just like you would, I got my bachelor's degree and then I went on to graduate education and got a doctorate in physical therapy and thought that I was going to be a sports physical therapist and work for the New Orleans Saints football team. But during my graduate education, I got really interested in pelvic floor health and women's health. One, I had no idea that the specialty existed in physical therapy. And two, as a woman, I thought it was pretty fascinating to just understand my own body. 
And right after graduation, which was 15 years ago, I jumped right into the field of pelvic floor physical therapy and started treating, we treat men and women and all genders with you know, simple things like urinary incontinence or constipation and painful sex. And what has kept me in this field and really now um, keeps me motivated to keep educating people about it is so many people experience these issues and just don't even know that there's help for them. They either suffer in silence or get aggressive treatments when physical therapy is a really great option for them. And one of the things that I love your um, account um, because they're funny And, you know, like I said, at the beginning of the show, they're educational, they're empowering, they're entertaining, and they're inspiring. So everything that I'm trying to accomplish on this show, which is why I wanted to have you on here, is because you help people live their authentic lives, you know, because maybe they're suffering in private. They don't know what to do. They're not living their best life ever because they're suffering and they don't know where to get help. And like you said, sometimes they go and they receive aggressive treatments. And like, so what are some of the aggressive treatments that are not through physical therapy? Right. So, I mean, I work. Right. So, you know, some of them can be helpful. Like surgery is probably one of the more common ones. Mm -hmm. And the difficult thing with surgery is that they often have to be redone. So they don't last forever. So at the age of 40, if you're getting a surgery to fix incontinence, which is urinary leakage, you will likely have to have that surgery again later in life. Right. Um, and then even things like, you know, we see a lot of advertisements for, you know, pay a thousand dollars for this vaginal rejuvenation surgery or sit on this chair, which kind of pulses 3000 times a minute to strengthen your pelvic floor. When I, I just feel like, you know, these are kind of quick fixes to issues that are not long-term solutions. And we're not really educating women on why did this happen in the first place? What can I do to prevent it from getting worse even after these treatments? Or are there other options that are more affordable, um, more accessible instead of having to go kind of pay this really high top dollar price for a treatment that might not even be effective? You know, it's funny that you brought up the vaginal rejuvenation because I'm 61 years old. And of course, whenever I've gone to see a doctor about, luckily I haven't had any issues like that. Um, as when we first talked, uh, the other day, I mentioned that, you know, after you have children, you know, you can get on a trampoline. Women don't want to jump rope. They don't want to jump. They don't want to hop. They don't want to do any of those things. And then after seriously getting into weightlifting and so on, I didn't have those bladder issues. I didn't have, I didn't have incontinence, but it was, what would you call it after you have a a baby postpartum? One of the common issues that happens is called prolapse, which is kind of, I always think of, you know, the pelvic floor muscles are like a hammock that sit at the bottom of your pelvis and they support your pelvic organs, like your bladder, your uterus, your rectum. So after giving birth, you know, those muscles are lengthened and stretched out and they just may Mm. not support your pelvic organs as well. Which is why a lot of women my age who didn't know about somebody like you after we had babies have gotten those, um, the mesh things. Right? Yes. Yes. And, and they've been horrible. I mean, I've not right. heard any success stories and yeah, Jody, you know, it's funny you say that because when I think back to like how the vagina whisper Instagram account started was before I had my children. So I was, you know, my kids are five and seven and I was working with a lot of women who were older and were saying, you know, I had this mesh surgery and the mesh went bad or all of these really terrible things were happening. And I'm going, why is healthcare for women really like damage control? Like we're trying to just kind of throw all these solutions at them that aren't helping them. And then they have more problems later on. Is there anything that we can do to prevent these issues, to educate them during childbirth and postpartum? So that these issues are less likely to happen, or even with aging, with hormonal changes, like there's no education on what happens during menopause and why does sex hurt or why is leakage happening? And we just kind of deal with it. And so I think it's really, that's when the vagina whisper account started was was like, there's gotta be a better way to help prevent some of these issues so that women just don't have to suffer with this. And a lot of women, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I feel like and it's not because I'm 61 and post postmenopausal, but I do believe that society as a whole forgets about the postmenopausal woman. You're like, 
eh, it's too late. You had your babies 20, 30 years ago, like just deal with it. Right. But there are women out there that have had the surgery for incontinence and are still dealing with it. Like people are buying diapers. I mean, I don't know any of the women, but these women are wearing diapers and men are wearing diapers. Can you, can you be a 60 or 70 year old person and still come to somebody like you and get help? Can it be Absolutely. reversed? Okay. Absolutely. I think that, you know, it can be reversed. It can be, you know, I can't say that a hundred percent people are cured, right. but I feel like right. just empowering people with the information of what can, what exercises can I do to help with leakage? Am I, you know, why am I peeing so often? And I have to get up every 30 minutes during the day, or I can't even leave my house because, you know, even things like leaking stool or poop. I mean, these are things that really limit someone's quality of life. And there are definitely options and solutions. So we can improve it. We can prevent it from getting worse or even prevent it from happening. You know, the research states that 65, um, 50% of women over the age of 65 have urinary leakage. And as a 40 year old woman, I'm going, I don't want that to be my destiny. You know, I mean, what can I do to help prevent it or at least feel like we're doing everything we can? So, you know, I just really think it's such an incredible time where there are outlets like social media and yes. podcasts and things to just really share this information who with people who wouldn't have had it otherwise. And I remember going through menopause because I'm way over it and, and going through some of those issues, not the poop thing, thank God, but like the leakage, which is a normal right. thing. I think when you start losing estrogen and testosterone and all of those lovely hormones that keep us staying young. Um, And I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on? And then, and then it went away. It just went away. And I don't know how it went away, but it just went away. So give me, um, tell me what you would do for whether it's a postpartum woman or any kind of person at any age or any stage in their life that is having leakage issues, for example, what type of therapy would you provide for them? Right. So I think one of the first things is I really educate people on what the pelvic floor is and what it does. So it's a muscle like any other muscle in your body. And when we contract a muscle or tighten it and shorten it, it, it strengthens, right? So for your pelvic floor muscles, we often think of an exercise called Kegels, which is the only thing we've ever heard of with respect to the pelvic floor, but there's so much more. And a Kegel is a pelvic floor contraction. So I, I typically tell people like, if you're peeing and you want to stop your stream, that's a Kegel. I don't want you doing Kegels all the time when you pee, but just one time stop your stream and see if you can do it. And that's a Kegel exercise. Another way is like if you're thinking that you have to go to the bathroom and you want to hold it in or you have to pass gas and you're trying to hold it in. That is also a Kegel exercise. So it's the front and the back of the muscle together. I didn't know that. Right. There's a front and a back. And so that's really the foundation of strengthening the pelvic floor. So it's not just doing Kegels in the carpool lane or when you're waiting in line at the grocery store. It's bringing that contraction into the other fitness activities you do. So for instance, you lift weights. I would say, okay, Jody, I want you to practice that Kegel contraction before the bicep curl, before the squat, before the deadlift. And that becomes a way that you just integrate the contraction into things that you're already doing. For a postpartum mom, it's before you lift up the stroller, before you lift up the baby, um, squatting down on the ground to do something. So teaching them how to do it properly and then integrating it into their day-to-day life and fitness routine. So when somebody would come to you and say, I think I have leakage, I'm not really sure, because I'm sure there are all different... um, how much leakage one person has versus a little could be a little bit of a leakage, but Mm -hmm. how do you examine them and know that that is what is their diagnosis, for example? So this is kind of the fun and mystical part of pelvic floor therapy because people don't really know what to expect, which is fair. Um, And I'll have people show up in their workout clothes and they're like, I'm here for therapy. I'm like, well, it's not that kind of physical therapy. So, (laughs) but um, you know, what we do is A typical physical therapy visit is one-on-one with a therapist in a private treatment room. So it's not in a big gym type setting. It's in a private room. And we just sit and talk for the first 15 or 20 minutes. And we not only ask about leakage, but we'll ask about bowel movements, about sexual health, about, you know, hormonal history, um, childbirth um, and postpartum, just getting a really clear picture as to what's going on with all of their issues or if there are other issues to address. And then the pelvic floor portion of the exam, they're lying on a comfortable mat and they're undressed from the waist down and but covered up by a sheet. 
And then the therapist will pull the sheet back and say, okay, I'm going to just observe externally and watch your pelvic floor kind of outside of the vagina to see what it looks like when you contract, what it looks like when you push and bear down, like you're pooping or having a baby. Okay. Hold on. Mm-hmm. That's got to be really uncomfortable for somebody. I'm just thinking I'm pretty open-minded, but I think I would feel a little weird, right? Do you have people that are like oh, super? I'm, absolutely. I mean, I yeah, think okay. that, yeah. And, and the interesting thing is that's really where Instagram has been so helpful. And even it's just, I'll literally show you, this is exactly what to expect. The good news is, is I do this all day. I, I've seen five right. people before them. I'll see five people after I've seen 10,000 vaginas. It's like working with an ankle. I love this field, but I also don't mind working with this part of the body. It's just another Mm. part of the body. Just like when you see the gynecologist or your obstetrician. And so I think that we do the best that we can to keep it as comfortable as possible for people. Um, And then the internal portion of the exam is, you know, with a gloved finger kind of inserting into the vaginal opening and then Mm. just have them squeeze around our finger. And that's how we assess strength. And then we'll also gently press on the sidewalls to see if there's tension, because if there's tension, you don't want to do Kegels. If it's just a weakness issue, then you can go ahead and start Kegel exercises. That's fascinating. I don't think, I think there's so many people that don't know this. I mean, I'm just learning all of this myself. I mean, I was told to do Kegels 33 years ago when I had my first child, Um, never really did them, but it's it's something that everybody should know about. And, and, you know, I don't know if my client who had a baby six months ago is listening, but she's the one who told me about you because she was having pelvic floor dysfunction after her second child. And I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? Pelvic floor dysfunction? What is this? And so I just found it very interesting. And then once I learned more and more about, I realized, okay, it peeing, bowel movements, everything, sex, like this has everything to do with everything. Um, I actually saw one of your um, posts showing um, your children what you do for a living. That was pretty <laughs> yes. funny. It must be very hard to explain at a dinner party sometimes what you do for a living. It's right? getting easier and easier because a lot of my friends will follow me on Instagram. But I think that that's what's really interesting, Jody, is that if we know more as women, as mothers, we're able to educate the next generation on things that we just didn't even realize we needed educating on. I mean, literally things like how to insert a tampon, you know, should sex be painful the first time you have it, you know, what to expect in childbirth is leakage, normal postpartum. And then even heading into menopause, you know, is why is sex painful with hormonal changes? What can I do? So I just find it fascinating. I mean, my kids, they, I don't even really think they understand what we do, but it's the great news is, is that, you know, the doors open, the conversations there, they can ask me questions and it's not going to be the first time they've heard the word vagina, you know? <laughs> exactly. Right. They're two boys. So they've heard the word vagina a hundred times already more than that. So what, what are some symptoms for somebody to recognize that they're having pelvic floor dysfunction? It's a great question. So, you know, the, the, the three main or four main roles of the pelvic floor are continence, which means holding in pee and poop, um, sexual health, so intercourse, um, reproductive health. So if they're pregnant or postpartum, those are typically times in our life that we will um, experience changes in this part of our body and then support. So again, this muscle supports the pelvic organs. So I think with respect to continence, if somebody's leaking urine, if they're leaking stool or poop, if they're constipated and having to constantly strain, if they're having a hard time emptying their bladder or having overactive bladder, those are some of the more common symptoms that we see where the pelvic floor muscles should be evaluated. Um, With respect to sexual health, um, the most common complaint that we get is painful intercourse. And people don't often think of the muscles as a source of that pain, but I say this all the time, if you have tension or tightness in those muscles, it's going to cause it difficult to tolerate insertion, to tolerate deeper insertion. Some positions may be uncomfortable. There may be dryness. Like I have tension in my shoulders and I get really bad headaches. It's no different for your pelvic floor muscles. And then one of the other ones is support. So if you feel heaviness, pressure, like something's falling out of the vagina, um, that's typically a prolapse symptom. And that's something where you definitely want to get evaluated as well. Okay. Wow. Okay. I, those are great things to know. Um, 
There was something else that I wanted to ask you. I, I mean, I have a million questions here. Um, ways, I think you you posted something about ways that stress affects your pelvic floor. Can you talk yes. about that? So as mothers, as women, as citizens in this world, <laughs> I don't know how after the past two and as a half human years, beings in as this human world. beings, I don't know how we don't have stress after the past right. two and a half years. Right. Um, but these are muscles and they're like muscles in any other part of our body. When we are affected by stress or anxiety, our muscles tense up. And I actually kind of, you know, recommend that people just do a pelvic floor check-in a few times a day. If you are sitting in traffic, do you feel yourself kind of tightening your butt? If you are really frustrated on a Zoom call or trying to like, you know, pound some things out on the computer, do you feel yourself kind of on the edge of your chair tensing up and your glutes are really clenched? Um, Even if you are a jaw clencher or a teeth grinder, those things are really connected from your jaw to your pelvic floor. So just doing little check-ins throughout the day and saying, oh gosh, am I tensing my body? And if you are, then your pelvic floor is likely tense as well. Um, I do this check-in with myself if I'm working my you know, shoulders end up by my ears and I'm like, oh, that's why I have neck tension and I have headaches. So just doing a check-in to see how is stress or anxiety contributing to my pelvic floor tension. I'm a big jaw clencher that at the end of the day, some days when I'm having a particularly stressful day, my, my whole bottom jaw will be killing me. And I'm like, what was I doing all day? Oh, I was clenching all day. Right. Right. And so if we just, I think the first step is awareness you know, oh gosh, I am doing that. And the next step is I encourage people to just literally breathe. Like if you're able to take a big, deep belly breath, that softens your pelvic floor and will help your pelvic floor relax. So you can't tighten your butt and take really big breaths. So just by going to your breath, which is the most simple tool that we have can really facilitate relaxation in your pelvic floor. Isn't it funny? Just the simplest thing that we've been talking about for a million years, take a deep breath, just sit with yourself and just breathe, you know, and so many, and when I'm training my clients, they forget to breathe. It's always, it's that breath. You've got absolutely to breathe. And we do, we've, especially when we're very tense, we forget to breathe or we're frustrated or we're upset about something. We forget to breathe. Even when we get very excited, we forget to breathe. So that's a really, really good thing to remember. Um, you mentioned this before, pelvic pelvic organ prolapse. So what, you mentioned it, but what exactly is it? I'm going to, and I'm going to start answering this by telling people it sounds scary, but it, it just gives our body, gives us information about our body. Okay. So I, you know, the way that I talk about the pelvic floor again, is like this hammock. It slings from the pubic bone in the front to the tailbone in the back and side to side. So at the very base of your pelvis, this kind of bony ring of muscles is this basket and that's your pelvic floor. And think about this, like you have your bladder, which holds urine, your rectum, which holds poop and your ovaries and your uterus. So again, during pregnancy, this, you know, hammock has a lot more to support, which is often why it gets weakened during pregnancy. Right. So when that hammock can't quite support those organs as well is when it starts to just feel heavy. And the way that we typically diagnose it is through the vagina and you'll feel like a bulge in the vagina. It'll feel like something's falling out. Um, It may be hard to empty your bladder. It may be hard to empty your bowels with bowel movements. And again, it just gives us information that this hammock isn't supporting your, your organs as well as we'd want it to. And so one of the first things I teach people is to stop straining And I say this and I tell people, this is another great time to check in. If you're pooping and you are holding your breath and pushing really hard, you're probably overworking. And so the way that we poop should really be, you know, exhaling, you should sit down, put your feet on a little stool or like a little squatty potty and just gently bear down. And then the other time we strain a lot is peeing. And I think that moms and women are notorious for this, but we sit down and we feel like we have to pee really fast. So we start power peeing and pushing when we pee, when that is really a contributing factor to prolapse as well. And so I tell people to just sit, chill, breathe when they pee, don't power pee. And just, that's another way to kind of minimize that, that straining and pressure. And then you want to start strengthening if you know, again, working on exercises and Kegel contractions and different things like that. Isn't it? It's interesting because, you know, I see a few, I saw a few videos with your sons and I remember teaching my children how to go on the potty, right? Mm -hmm. 
and you would see them bear down and you would tell them not to bear down and to breathe. At least that's what I did. And this is a funny story. So when I was, I was nine months, eight, eight months pregnant with my second one. And my oldest one was three years and eight months. And she was still asking for um, a pull-up when it was time to poop. And she would, I, she would go and get me the pull-up. She would put it on. She would go behind like one of the plants in the house, poop there, right? So I said to the doctor, okay, you need, you need to help me here because I can't have, they're almost four years apart. I, this can't be happening. So she just had this will, you know, it's control when they're that little. And so I gave her, the doctor said, give her mineral oil and orange juice and nothing will stop the poop from coming out of her. And that's exactly what happened. And once she started pooping on the potty, then she was like a big girl and she was wearing underwear by the time her daughter, her sister was born. So, I mean, I guess you can't tell that to adults because we would be running to the bathroom all the time. Um, but the straining is so bad. And why is that so bad for us to strain when we're trying to poop? Because straining actually tightens our muscles instead of relaxes them. And so when we're emptying, we want those muscles relaxed. And so your daughter would probably go behind and squat behind a tree because she could squat down because squatting helps relax her pelvic floor. And it gave her a little bit of privacy. And so that's why I always recommend people get a little stool or a step stool and just put their feet on it where they're pooping and teach their kids that same thing. So that again, if we know better, then we can teach them better as well. Don't you think, don't you wish you invented that squatty potty? <laughs> I know. I mean, it my is goodness. literally one of the best things. And I like, like what does it cost him? Like 50 cents to uh, 50 make this cents flat. and it costs $30, but it's, it's worth it's every crazy. penny. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's um, crazy. I have a lot of questions. We're going to take a quick break. I have a bunch of questions about sex, pooping, peeing when we get back. So stay with us. We'll be back in a few minutes with the Vagina Whisperer. See you Thank in a few you. minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. On Fearlessly Authentic, Jody talks about mental and physical well-being, and the key to both starts with proper nutrition. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan was created to help your body feel better. Whether your goal is to lose weight, gain muscle, or just feel lighter and more energetic, Following this meal plan can help you get there. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a 21-day plan to help you learn the most important things about the food we eat and what foods are right for you based on your goals and activity level. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a real plan for real life. This is not a diet, but a change in lifestyle. The plan is simple and easy for you to follow. In the 21-day plan, you will receive meal ideas, snack ideas, a grocery list, and a 21-day journal crucial to your success with inspirational quotes to keep you motivated and keep track of your progress. The key to success is commitment, consistency, and willpower. Be fearless and trust the journey. Go to JodyFit.com to purchase the JodyFit meal plan now and use the promo code podcast to get 25% off. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. listening to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments you may have. Send an email to info at jodyharrisonbauer.com. That's info at jodyharrisonbauer.com. Now, back to Fearlessly Authentic. Welcome back, everybody. And I'm with Sarah Reardon, also known as the Vagina Whisperer. We are talking all things sex, vagina, pooping, peeing, everything to 
strengthen your pelvic floor. So you have the best pelvic floor ever. So you can have great sex. You could have easy poops, easy pee and live your best life. Right. Right. Okay. So I want to get into sex because sex has, you know, the pelvic floor and sex have a lot to do with one another. One of the things we were talking about in the break that we're going to get right into is vaginismus. Did I just say it right? You said it perfectly. Okay. What is that? So vaginismus by definition is a spasm of the vaginal muscles. So you've got two layers of your vaginal muscles, the outer layer, and then the deeper layer. And so vaginismus is typically when you're trying to have intercourse and it feels like your partner is hitting a wall. So it's Mm -hmm. like those outer muscles just can't relax to allow anything in. And the tricky part about this is the more you keep trying, the worse it gets because think of it almost like touching a hot burner. Like now, you know, it's going to hurt when you touch that burner and your body tenses up before anything even touches it. And so that's really the challenge is there starts to be a lot of fear associated with even the thought of having intercourse or something like that. So what do you do about it? So it's interesting. So vaginismus can occur at any time. It can, we often see it with, you know, younger women, the first time they try to have intercourse. Right. Yeah. I mean, you've been told this narrative that maybe sex is bad. You shouldn't have sex. Don't have sex. And then all of a sudden you're like, yay, you can have sex. And then it's not as easy as you would think. And so, but it can even occur later. You know, I'm seeing someone now in my clinic who is 70 years old and after menopause, her hormones changed. She started having dryness. It started becoming uncomfortable. And then her vagina just kind of clenched up and was like, I'm not having this anymore. So one of the things we work on is really encouraging lubrication. So I encourage Mm -hmm. people to just, you know, automatically use a lubricant and that will help minimize friction. Um, There are also these devices that we use called vaginal dilators, and they look like tampons of different sizes. So we may start them with a really small size of this dilator, teaching them to insert it with a lubricant, um, taking big, deep breaths to help their pelvic floor muscles relax, you know, really starting to associate that intercourse or something inserted in the vagina is not, does not have to be painful. And they're in charge of it. They are in control of inserting and moving it in and out. And then we increase the size of that dilator as they start to get more comfortable. And then they eventually get to the size that's closest to their partner. And then they may include their partner where their own partner, you know, takes a role, things like that. So it's really, I mean, just retraining your body to not tense up when something's trying to insert. And and that may be for pelvic exams, tampons, anything. Right. So you have, so you're giving the woman, again, you're giving her that control that you are in charge of your own body. Here's a device that can help you. And, you know, yeah, they can use it as a sex toy, right? And then that shows her partner, okay, it's not the partner, right? Right. Because I'm sure the partner starts feeling like, oh no, what could I do? My penis is too big. My penis is too small. I don't have the right size penis. I'm not going in the right way. Whatever it is, that any position you try, it's not working. So you try, yeah, I, I love right. that idea. And, and then, I love that she's 70 years old and still having sex. <laughs> That's the thing is, you know, we were talking about this earlier is that women are living longer. I mean, we're going to be in our eighties and still rocking. And so I'm like, if at the age of 50, sex is painful, I don't want to throw in the towel and be like, Oh, guess that that journey's over for me. I mean, we have such a long life ahead of us. And I, it's getting to the point where it's not even that sex is just tolerable or comfortable. It should really be enjoyable. And so a lot of it is just helping people get to that point where it's not something they, not only do we want them to not fear it, but we want them to enjoy it because they deserve that. You know, on my, on my Instagram and on TikTok, I talk about, you know, sex and I talk about being confident. And, you know, one of the things is that we're ageless, that we should feel ageless because we want to be in our eighties having sex. We want to have intimacy. We want to have all those things because we didn't forget what it felt like to be in our twenties. And just because you get older, doesn't mean that you don't want to be intimate with somebody. And, you know, with the help of you and hopefully with me also, you know, we're showing women that, you know, there's no stopping them to have, have an amazing sex life and intimate life and, and everything that they could enjoy everything that they want to out there, that they don't have to stop having sex just because your hormones are telling you to stop having sex. Right. Doesn't mean that there are. Right. I mean, hormonal differences is one of them, but I think that the other thing is like, 
letting women also know, like, this is not your fault. Like you didn't do anything. You're not defective. You're not broken. This is just like having a sprained ankle or a little bit of back pain or, you know, a something that's just an injury or a trauma that we just need to tackle it. We would address it just like if you were going to physical therapy because your shoulder hurt. And so really looking at it as a very anatomical physiological way, like this is just a part of your body that needs attention. It's giving us information. How can we start addressing that? I love that attitude. I think that's really important because some people, as we started the conversation at the beginning of the show, some people don't even know where to go or they keep it to themselves. They live in that pain. So somebody like you is bringing the attention to and say, there is a place where you can get help and not feel uncomfortable because this is something that you can take care of. And this is something you can control or you can take control of to get the help. Right. And I like that, that um, analogy of it's like getting your shoulder fixed, you know, it's just another part of the body. We just don't talk about it a lot. I mean, I talk about it a lot, but most people don't talk about it a lot. So I'm going to start talking about it all the time now. (laughs) I'm going to ask my daughters about that. (laughs) So really it's just, I love that we can just normalize this conversation. I versus normalizing the problems. I think that, you know, I was watching incontinence commercials about panty liners and they were going little leaks are just part of being a lady. And I'm going, that is crap. Like that is not fair to women that we are just supposed to deal with this. There is so much more that we can do. And so I really just want to be able to not normalize this problem, but say, Hey, let's talk about it because there are actually a ton of resources to help people. Like I said to you on the phone, where were you? Back, you know, 30 <laughs> know. years ago, I'm just glad you're around to help everybody now. And you did mention this also that pelvic floor disorder dysfunction is not just for women. Men have it too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, you know, a lot, there was a time in my practice where I was seeing 50% males because they have pelvic floors too. I think that we often give a lot of attention to female bodies, which is great because we go through a huge transformation with pregnancy, with birth, with Mm -hmm. menstruation and then menopause. So we kind of have these timelines in our lives where there are significant changes, For males, I think a lot of things, you know, they can have tension as well. So if a male has tension, it can cause difficulties with bowel movements, incomplete bladder emptying, um, pelvic pain, difficulty with erections and orgasm, coccyx pain and tailbone pain. So just like, you know, women would experience that as well, men do also. And that's even harder. I mean, I think that at least with women to make a broad generalization, we kind of talk with our girlfriends. We have a doctor we see every year that we can chat with. I don't know if men always have that same outlet. So um, yeah, we do see a lot of males in our practice now. And it's great that they can also know that pelvic floor therapy is a resource for them. Absolutely. Um, We touched on the vaginal dryness and lube, why lube is really important for sex. Um, is there a lube that you, you suggest? And if it's not just, when we're talking about vaginal dryness, are we talking specifically that it's dry during sex or that's really the only reason we would figure out? Well, there's a couple. So typically one of the contributing factors to vaginal dryness is hormonal changes. When you have low estrogen, which can actually happen when you're on hormonal birth control. So if you're on birth control that actually lowers the amount of estrogen that your body's making on its own. When you're immediately postpartum and you're breastfeeding or lactating, also low estrogen, and then going into menopause and then after menopause. So some of the signs you may experience are like, it actually feels like itching, dryness, burning, even at rest without intercourse. But then when you go to have intercourse, it feels like sandpaper. (laughs) But again, you know, I think sometimes People can think like, oh, I don't want my partner to think that I'm not aroused or I'm like, it has nothing to do with your partner. Again, this is a hormonal change in your body. It should be comfortable for you. There are different types of lubricants. Um, If it's an oil-based lubricant, which can be like even a coconut oil or olive oil, or there's oil-based lubricants, those are great. You just can't use them with latex condoms. Um, there are silicone lubricants, which are also fine. You just can't use them with silicone toys. So if you're using like a sex toy or a a vaginal dilator, you just don't want to use a silicone lubricant. And then there are water-based lubricants, which are actually my favorite. So they just absorb into the tissues. They don't hang out, which can kind of harbor bacteria, but they're just, you know, dissolvable. And you may have to reapply it if you have a longer session, but 
nothing that's tingly or sparkly or glittery should be your lubricant. Just like good old fashioned, simple lube. (laughs) Okay. All right. Good. And don't be embarrassed that you have to use lube. You shouldn't feel uncomfortable about that at all. Um, You talk about women not wanting to have sex at a certain time, mostly postpartum, right? And you give like four or five reasons why women don't feel like having sex. And just, you know, because, you know, for the men listening to the show as well, they need to understand that this has nothing to do with you guys. It has nothing. It's what your girl's going through. And But what are the five reasons that a woman may not want to have sex after she has a baby? Well, the first is that they're tired. So (laughs) hands down, that's not even immediately after having a baby. That's just forever after having a baby. So we're exhausted. Um, The second is there can be vaginal dryness if you are breastfeeding or lactating. And that just does cause a lot of sensitivity to the tissue. So again, using a water-soluble lubricant um, after, you know, for the first time you're attempting intercourse or even for an extended period of time after giving birth can be helpful. Another reason is scar tissue. The majority, almost 80% or more women who have a vaginal birth will have a perineal tear or a tear kind of at the base of the vagina during a vaginal birth. And so scar tissue takes time to heal. It's sensitive. It doesn't always stretch or relax the same way that our tissues did pre-birth. So going to see a physical therapist or even just doing a little bit of softening by stretching that area can be really, really helpful. And um, other things are there are nerve sensitivities. So, you know, if you've got tight, tense muscles um, that can irritate nerves or again, lead to something like vaginismus where our muscles just aren't relaxing the way that we want them to. I mean, I think the research shows that nine out of 10 people have pain with sex the first time they try to have sex after giving birth. But it's totally bananas to me that this isn't brought up during their postpartum check-ins. And I'm like, we should be telling people like, how do you prevent pain? Or, Hey, if this happens, try these things to see if it helps. We kind of just give them the thumbs up and. Yeah. I had none of that. I had, I had two natural births and I did have a tiny tear with my oldest, but she only weighed five fifteen to this day. So here she, she's 33. I'm still annoyed that I had the tear. Like why? <laughs> she, she didn't even weigh six pounds. My my other daughter was only six, seven, and I didn't I didn't have a tear. That's so amazing. it's just really weird, right? It's really weird that I had the tear, but it was like two stitches. But I was like, oh, I can't believe you did this. And then I sometimes I think, wow, maybe I should have just had a cesarean and then everything would have just been like I was 20 years old. But I mean, I'm I'm still good, but too much. No, you're anyway. totally good. And the cesarean birth actually can cause a lot of tension in the abdomen, which can cause tension in the pelvic floor. So we see a lot of post-C-section moms who have painful intercourse or pelvic pain because of the result of the C-section. Oh. It's, it's actually pretty wild. And so again, that's a major surgery. And so it's, it just been, it's been really incredible to just educate people like, hey, if you experience this, that baby didn't come out of your vagina, but one, your vagina changed during pregnancy itself. And two, you know, the cesarean scar restriction could also cause tightness in your pelvic floor, which could cause pain. Wow. Crazy, crazy. I feel like I'm making people scared to have babies. It's not. No, no. Well, I mean, when you have your first baby, it's always a little scary because you don't know what to expect. By the second time, the second one comes out, you're like, yep, uh give me the epidural. I have an epidural (laughs) with both of them. Um, And, and, you know, that was just, you know, my own decision. Um, All right. So you talk about peeing. I love this. You say, how do you feel about peeing in the shower, Sarah? (laughs) I feel fine about it. So it's funny. There was this huge kind of movement on TikTok about don't pee in the shower. I'm like, wait, what? Well, who's sharing this? I've been peeing in the shower for 40 years and it's not a problem. And the reality of it is peeing in the shower is fine, but pushing to pee is not fine. So there's this thought that either one, if you pee in standing, your bladder doesn't empty all the way, which is not the case because male bodies, men stand to pee all the time and they empty. Second is that the running water will teach your bladder to only pee when you hear running water. Again, not true, fake news. But if you do have what we call overactive bladder, when you already, when like you're washing your hands or you're watering the lawn and you, that triggers you to have to pee, then yes, the shower would trigger you to have to pee, but it doesn't work the opposite. It's not going to give you pelvic floor problems. So save some water, 
pee in the shower. It's totally so funny. So um, I saw that I was watching the show, the circle and they, there was a question about um, who pees in the shower and everybody's like, Oh, gross. If you, if you pee in the shower. So I have a question about peeing my own personal question. So before I get on here to do my show, I always have to pee right before I get on. When I was competing in fitness shows, I would be waiting in that line. You know, they would have us waiting and then waiting to get on stage. And I would always look at the person next to me and go, I have to pee. I have to pee. And you can't pee because your bikini is, is like glued to your butt. So it doesn't oh, wow. rise into your ass crack because I that's didn't know not that. cool. This is interesting. Yeah, it's, it's a glue that glues right on your cheeks. So if you go to the bathroom then you're going to ruin the glue and then the glue is going to ma- mess up everything. And then your butt won't look really good. So what is that all about people who like, or before I get in the car, always have to pee before I train a client, I have to pee before right. I start working out. What is, the, uh, what is the deal with that stuff? So it's, it's actually called, so two things, it's something called just in case peeing and where people start going to the bathroom all the time, just in case. So before you work out, before you get in the car. And then when you get to the next place, before you have to go into the next place. So it's called just in case peeing. And what happens is it trains your bladder to have to go all the time. What's normal to pee is every two to four hours during the day and zero to two times at night. But if Jody leaves her house at 11 and then gets somewhere about 1145 and pees again, you probably could have waited longer, but you're peeing just in case. And even if you have that little urge, you can usually make it go away by distracting yourself. I'm sure you were able to perform on stage. Yeah, fine. And it was fine. And then when I got off stage, I didn't have to pee for like hours right. afterwards. Right. It was just that whole, it's that whole thing. And then it's like a nervous bladder. Yeah, It is. And sometimes I have to stop myself and go, did I really have to pee? Correct. Did I really have to pee? And because if I you'll- didn't really have to pee, I don't go. You'll go sometimes and only a couple drops will come out because your yeah, bladder like, that really, was a waste of my time. And your bladder's never completely empty. We're always filtering blood through our kidneys. We're always creating more right. urine. So we kind of train our bladder to have to go that often if that's how often we end up going. So I really encourage people to try to push it back maybe 15, 30 minutes, distract themselves, take a couple deep breaths, even squeeze their pelvic floor a few times to help their bladder quiet down to see if that makes the urge go away. And then if you keep doing that, you can eventually get to the two hour mark, but you're a just in case peer. And I would encourage, <laughs> I would it's encourage so you to annoying. try to <laughs> It's so annoying. I really, I was sat down here. I'm like, I'm ready to rock and roll. And then I was like, let me just pee one more time. Um, so the normal amount to pee, pee during the day is two to four times, unless you're drinking two to like four hours, every two to four hours. Two, Every two to four hours. Okay. I'm probably doing that unless I'm doing the just in case pee thing. If I'm going on a trip or something like that. Like if we stop anywhere on a trip, like I have to go to the bathroom. Right. "Eh, I'll just go. And I'm aware of it. I know I'm just going just in case. Well, and then plan, if you can plan your stops between the two two to four hour mark, that's great. Then you're kind of within that range. Yes. Okay. That's good to know. Um, So you mentioned like, so it's sort of like that just in case, maybe it's like an anxiety type of thing that, so to calm down that feeling, take those deep breaths, right? Take some deep breaths. And then I I usually tell people, I want you to take four or five big deep breaths. Then I want you to squeeze and tighten your pelvic floor, which is a Kegel contraction four to five times because tightening your pelvic floor actually tells your bladder to chill out. So if your bladder is going like, I've got to go, I've got to go, I'm I'm a little bit full, and then you can tighten your pelvic floor, it kind of sends a signal from your brain to your bladder that says, calm down, I'm going to make it to the bathroom, and it makes the urge go away. And then sometimes the best trick is just to distract yourself. I mean, talk to somebody, make a phone call, scroll on Instagram, whatever you want to do. But just like you, when you went to compete and you kind of had to take your mind off of it, the urge went away. Right. And is it the opposite? Is it really bad, quote unquote, bad to hold your pee in for a long time? Like you have to go, you know, the urge it's there, but you have too many things that you have to do, or there's no place to go to the bathroom. Is that bad? Yes, it is. So, but I am notorious for this as well. I will see six to eight patients in a row and be like, oh my gosh, I haven't peed. Again, you want to try to stay in that normal range. Nurses, teachers, you know, physicians, anybody who does client, you know, if you're seeing clients back to back, we just will put it off. So you want to make sure that you do take that break. If you keep holding your bladder, um, till it gets too full, your bladder can stretch too much or your pelvic floor muscles actually get too tight and it makes it harder to relax than when you go to empty. 
So again, try to stay within that two to four hour range. Okay. And as far as pooping goes, um, one of the things that I think a lot of people, um, and you, you've talked about this constipation while you're traveling, why oh, does yeah. that happen? And what can <laughs> you do? It's why is this a thing? I, you know, I talk about poop so often. I'm going, you think I was a poop specialist, not a pelvic floor specialist, but having a good poop can make or break your day. So, yes, true. Um, you know, traveling. Just get on the scale after you poop. You see, it's like two you, And you feel great. Yeah. Um, so when we're traveling, we're often dehydrated. So we're not getting enough fluid. Um, we're traveling in airplanes. We're, you know, thing, we're doing things that are dehydrating us. Second is we're not eating our normal diet. So Right. We're eating more processed foods. We're eating, you know, foods out and we're not getting enough fiber, natural fiber, fruits and veggies. And, and the third one is we're off our routine. Like normally somebody like has their coffee at the computer in the morning and they're like, Oh, I'm pooping. Yeah. I have to go poop. Right. So we're off of our routine. We don't often kind of give ourselves that 30 minutes in the morning or 30 minutes after a meal. So I really encourage hydration activity and exercise is a huge benefit when you're traveling. You know, I tell people, when I travel, I pack my prunes, I pack my magnesium gummies. I mean, right. you'd think I was 80 because I <laughs> do everything to have good poops while I'm traveling. But it's important. I, it's, it's so really, important. It's so important. I mean, I, I it happens to me. Um, well, we have run the gamut here and I love it. This is exactly what I wanted to do. So I want to thank you so much for all of this incredible information. And, you know, like I said at the beginning of the show, like, educating and empowering people. And even with your entertaining, by the way, go to Sarah's Instagram account. You'll see her wearing a vagina. Is it a vagina? It's a you, vulva. Or, yeah. It's, it's a vulva. vulva right. I always say the wrong thing. It's not a vagina. <laughs> it's okay. I do the same. She's wearing a vulva all the time. I love it. I'm going to dress up as a vulva one day. It's great. Um, but you really do help people live their best life because if they're, if they're under stress or distress with having some pelvic floor dysfunction, you're helping them. So what does it mean to you to be a fearlessly authentic person? You know, it's so interesting that you asked this. I wouldn't even say that I'm a fearlessly authentic person, but I, when we talk about these things, I really, I really am authentic about it. I mean, I think you that are. I'm a woman, I'm a mother. I think that really showing up for how we are and not just how we want to appear is really important because we find that there are so many other people who are experiencing exactly the same things we are. And that's how we connect is if we share the most vulnerable parts of ourselves, we're able to connect with other people in a way that's also really vulnerable and versus just kind of surface level. And with respect to being fearless, I'm like, if you're already peeing your pants, what do you got to lose? You know, like, come on in, let's work on this. You know, it's like, there's not a lot at stake except for not taking care of ourselves. So I think we have a lot to gain and not a lot to lose. You're the best. I adore you. You're I'm the so, best. Thank you. I'm so happy that you came on the show. We need to do some stuff together to help all my postmenopausal women. Um, and thank you so much for all of your education today. I learned so much. And um, follow Sarah on the Vagina Whisperer um, with all the periods. T-H-E period, Vagina period, Whisperer and the Vag Whisperer on TikTok. And Sarah, thank you so much. And until next week, I please go and live your most fearlessly authentic life. Thanks for joining us today. Bye, everybody. Thank you for tuning in this week to Fearlessly Authentic. Please listen again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with your host, Jody Harrison-Bauer on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and unlock the keys to a more powerful you.